the best part about creativity is that sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't. But that's okay because it can be anything. Failing. 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 When we talk about failure. Some battles you feel like you lost. And survival. Some battles you feel like you win. It's tough. I had to make some tough decisions. We've all faced failure, but what steps do we take to launch ourselves into success? I'm Sarah Brown. There is life. A blessing. Achieve your dream. And then what we do with it. And this is Failing Forward. Listeners, I am so excited to introduce not only my friend, but she is also the Senior Community Relations Manager at Procter & Gamble, and she's also the founder of the Red Door Project. I am excited to share with you Barbara Hauser. Thank you, Sarah. I'm excited to be here. I'm so glad you're here, too. Uh, All right, my friend. So we we have probably known each other acquaintance-wise and then more recently, uh, but acquaintance-wise, I want to say like eight years. So I don't know... I know a little bit, but tell me about where you grew up, what was your family life like, your parents, share that. Sure. So I was born and raised in Cincinnati. Um, I grew up in Springdale um, and uh, lived out there, went to college at Miami, but my parents are from New York, Brooklyn. They moved to Cincinnati in 1966. Uh, for General Electric. My dad was a jet engineer and they recruited really? him. Yes. So they actually had a larger engagement party than a wedding because they had this big engagement party and then they were supposed to get married a year later and he got the job offer. And so in five weeks, my mom planned a wedding, packed oh everything up and moved to Cincinnati and they never looked back. So, okay. So is your family, your mom and dad's family still in Brooklyn? There are some of small family. A lot have passed away. So all my grandparents have passed away. My mom has a brother here in Cincinnati and my dad, yes, and my dad was an only child. So it is a a small but mighty family. Um, I have two older sisters. I'm the baby of the family. Um, (laughs) But back to New York, I do say, because I've lived um, in over the Rhine downtown for about 20 years now. And so I joke that I got my city from um, always going to uh, New York growing up and visiting parents and visiting uh, family out, out in New York. Uh, so first of all, let's, let's talk about growing up. But before that, living downtown for the last 20 years, when you moved down there, what was it like? So when I moved down uh, to downtown, I actually my first apartment um, on my own without a roommate yeah. uh, was yeah. to 4th Street. And so, as you can imagine, 20 years ago, there was not much activity happening on 4th Street. Actually, the building that I lived in, uh, the Deeper Roots Coffee just opened up in that building. And so when I walked in, I was telling the barista and he couldn't believe that so long ago I lived down there. Um, and, and was in that beautiful building. So yeah, it was very different from there. I moved up to Prospect Hill. Um, and so, and Prospect Hill was just, and still is such a great neighborhood where you meet so many people and you become so close and develop so many relationships. We've gone to Italy together, California together. Really? Yeah. yeah. So just really loved living in Prospect Hill. And then as OTR developed, Um, In 2009, I bought a condo right next to Washington Park on 13th and Republic, 
and lived there for 11 years. That was early. Yes. That was early adopter. Yeah. So, okay, so being the baby, have you always been an early adopter? I think I have. Um, I was the first of the three to go to college. Um, I definitely was the first to do a lot of things within the family. Um, and, and really, I, w I think I followed a lot in my parents' footsteps to go back to them. My dad worked for GE for 30 years. He was always the top volunteer. He, they did uh, March of Dimes back in the day, and he would walk hundreds and hundreds of miles and raise like the most money for oh his group. And, um, and then my mom was kind of the entrepreneur of, of us. Uh, she had her own candy store. It was called Candy Corner and More in Sharonville. And after school, I would go there. And, and then she currently actually, I mean, she's 75, but she still has a business that's called the cruise shop. And I mean, unfortunately the pandemic, wait, what is it? Called the cruise what is shop it? and she specializes in booking cruises. Oh my God. Yeah. That's amazing. Yeah. yeah. So she, um, and, and she's trying to start it back up. Obviously the pandemic, the last thing you wanted to or could do was go on a cruise. But she's yeah. um, so spunky and still like asking me how to do social media and and how to do things. <laughs> um, and she's 75. So yeah, so I do think I got a lot from my parents and watching them. My dad was, you know, volunteered with Boy Scouts and just a lot of different organizations. He was a Mason, those types of things. And, and then my mom kind of had that entrepreneur spirit. So I think between the two of them, that's kind of how I started volunteering in the community, which is also what connected yeah. me to OTR from the beginning. So even though, you know, I was here in the early days, I was also involved in what was happening in OTR in the early days from the very beginning of Second Sunday on Main to, um, you know, then becoming part of the OTR chamber, which I'm still on the board today. And I'm the one that has all the historical knowledge of what we have <laughs> done in the past and what has worked and not worked. And, and, you know, we continue to do second Sunday on Maine to this day. And so, um, it's been really great to see the community evolve and come together. And especially during the pandemic, it was just such a sweet yeah. place, um, to be at Washington park where the community hung out in different and new ways and everyone supported each other. Okay, like what was what were new ways? So Washington Park we used to be just so programmed, right? It was it was interesting. You didn't see people just throw a blanket in the on the lawn and have oh. a picnic or, you know, work from the porch. Even when the porch opened they had a hard time getting people to come for a drink. And then everyone shifted, right? They wanted to be outside, they wanted to be in open spaces and so it just became oh, this right. like really uh, amazing place for people to be outside, be safe, but then also still be in the community. So lots of picnics, lots of blankets, lot people were doing yoga just on their own, but just lots of, Interesting. you know, and, and they added more and more tables and every weekend the tables would be full and it just, you know, not that the programming is amazing and they're gonna continue that, but also just to see this space be what it was supposed to be and really bring everyone together. Barbara, what do you think has changed from, um, okay, well, first of all, explain your role at P&G. What are you responsible for? So, and then I want to know what has changed since the pandemic with that role. Okay. So I am the community relations manager at P&G, senior community relations manager at P&G. Um, so I really manage all of our external uh, partnerships um, in the community. 
So definitely, and I've been in this role actually since 2012, so I've seen a lot of change and a lot of, um, you know, new events. You know, P&G participates in things like the Flying Pig Marathon from the very beginning, but then also six years ago we stepped up and were the presenting sponsor for the Cincinnati Music Festival, which is one of the largest R&B music festivals in the country. So um, corporations or organizations partner with communities because why? What's the value of it? I mean, I always say the the best part about my job is that I'm trying to make Cincinnati a place where our employees want to live, work, and play, right? So we're the global headquarters. We want our employees um, to really love Cincinnati, but also we really want Cincinnati to be a thriving community for everyone. I mean, it's not just about our employees. I mean, they're they're very important, but it's also just about the community being such a great place for everyone to want to live and thrive when our global headquarters are here in Cincinnati. And it helps with retention yeah. and recruitment yes. of people to yeah. here. Okay. Yeah. Okay. And then does every city that has, I don't know, a, a location, P&G location, have a community relations manager? Um, they don't. Or the big ones? Every, every plant or every office, they do community relations. Sometimes it falls within a different person's role. But we absolutely okay. do community relations in every community that we're in. Okay. Um, and so the difference between... 11 years ago? How many years ago did you start? Oh, at 13 years ago at P&G. 13 yeah. years ago. What's been the biggest shift or difference back then to now? I think the best part about uh, how P&G works in the community is that we really pay attention to what's going on in the community and the needs of the community and building the relationships with the organizations that are doing the real work and then making sure that they are, um, we're helping them with what they need. And I think that that really came to life during the pandemic. Um, where I already, and even with the social justice that happened um, uh, during, during the summer where I was already connected to all these nonprofits and all these organizations and we were able to understand what their needs are. We were to help them uh, very quickly. Um, P&G took a, a pretty blatant stance with Black Lives Matter and some really good, I mean, I even watched some of the videos and shared with my team yeah. at work. How how do you bridge that or make that connection between what's kind of created at corporate and then what's really happening on the streets or in or like you know, uh, yeah, like what's really happening? You know what Absolutely. I mean? Absolutely. So I mean, we did several things. Um, we worked with an organization called Cincy Nice. They did an event called called Our Tables, where if you recall after um, the protests happened. Um, you know, there was a lot of damage to the small businesses in OTR and the plywood went up and then the artists immediately um, deck or painted and made murals and oh, made right. this beautiful artwork representing, you know, their strife and the people that have been killed. And so they took those boards and they actually closed Main Street and made tables out of them and then created these conversations inviting the community to sit down and have conversations and talk and heal and grow together. So P&G sponsored that. Um, there was with the Cincinnati Music Festival, um, we did an outdoor museum. It was called the CMF Outdoor Museum. We worked with 15 black artists 
And this was really inspired by the Black Lives Matter mural that P&G was able to sponsor as well. And so right. um, we'd worked with the Arts Wave, we worked with the Art Academy, um, and we brought, together, brought to life uh, this lovely outdoor museum in Washington Park that stayed up for a month. And, and it was about celebration and unity and community. So we wanted to make it a little bit um, more celebratory because it was supposed to be the weekend of the music festival. And normally it's one of the biggest economic drivers um, for the whole year for Cincinnati because 80% of really? the crowd is coming in from out of town. Um, so they eat at the restaurants. They yeah. they are staying at hotels. They're shopping. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So we really wanted to... Um, honor the black owned businesses as well as the artists and we're actually really excited we're bringing it back this year and um we are at the the new brief is not just about engaging the artists but we're going to pair the artist with a black owned business and they're going to create a piece of artwork together so we're super excited um to see how this comes to life and it'll be at washington park and then it'll also be on the new court street plaza so those are just a few of the things that, that we have done to, um, you know, keep supporting the community and the conversation um, in, in, that, in that space. Okay, so that's amazing. Have you ever had a project that was requested and you either had like a moral issue with it or you couldn't get behind it or, and you don't have to explain what it is, but if there was, how do you manage that? Especially if the organization is saying, we want to put forth, you know, resources around well, this. Well, I didn't get too much into my background, but I'm considered an experienced hire at P&G. So I started my career actually at a public relations agency. Um, and, and then I was the director of communications at the YMCA and then the marketing director at the ballet, Cincinnati Ballet. So I actually experienced this more when I was at the agency, you know, because it was client-based. So there were yeah. some, especially there was a particular client that we were pitching for new business that I did not believe in. And I do think that if we would have, we actually didn't end up getting the client. Um, I do believe that I would have told them that I would not work on the client because I was morally, obje I morally objected to what the business was and what they did. Um, and it was like yeah. in the lines of like cash lending or lending services. Got it. Um, so yeah. I dealt more with that, with the, you know, variety and influx of clients for, um, for the PR public relations agency. Um, I mean, obviously I get pitched ideas every day. And if I don't think that the idea aligns with what P and G will do, then we will not participate. Um, and you know, we have pretty right. strict guidelines. Um, as you can imagine, we get asked to participate in a lot of things. Um, so we definitely, uh, you know, make sure it aligns with PNG's values and what we're doing in the community. All right, Barbara. So we've talked, we got through the, the first, I shouldn't say the first part of your career, but we got through your day job. Let's talk your side hustle. Cause I love showcasing people's side hustles. I think it's so important. Tell us about the Red Door Project. Absolutely. So I started the Red Door Project in 2014. So it's been seven years. Um, I kind of riffed off an art gallery, um, and, and to back up for a minute, you know, I mentioned I was the marketing director of Cincinnati Ballet. I volunteered right. at the Art Museum right out of college, helped um, start uh, the One World Wednesdays, which was a successful party. I always have had creativity, passion for the arts, 
you know, in my bones. And so now, do you do you play anything, paint anything, like artistically? You I mean, personally? I would I would call myself a photographer, um, and you know, I definitely get people telling me that I'm an artist. Um, but I do love photography, um, and so I kind of, and that's actually. So the going back to the the original art gallery that was in Cincinnati was called the Projects, and it was run okay. by a woman, Sarah Jane Bellamy, who is um, uh, still doing art to this day. Um, and she was an art teacher, and so she kind of had a, a little bit of a built-in audience. So she had a call to artists for the whatever theme it was. She had a space. Yeah. Um, again, back in the day in OCR, she had a space on Clay Street. Um, and it was every final Friday, and she would do a call to artists. And you could either um, and you could submit your artwork based on the theme. And this okay. was, you know, email, flyer, that's how you communicated about it. But then she also would ask her art friends. So it would kind of be both a curated show in case she didn't have a lot of artists submit artwork. Okay. So I participated. Um, and the theme of the show was it had to be a series of something. And I lived on Milton Street, and so I did a series of four red doors, and I took pictures of them and framed them and painted the frame, and I put it in her show, and all my friends came, and I sold it for $125, and it was oh one gosh. of the best nights of my life. I felt like yeah. I was this, like, budding artist, and and so I participated several other times, and then eventually, you know, she, she moved on, and, and she shut it down. And then fast forward 10 years later, which is talking with some friends, how we just loved the art gallery, loved the community it built. We loved the ability for anyone to participate. And so then someone was like, why don't you start one, Barbara? And I was like, uh, I don't know if I want to do that. But we had a whole crew. Someone was like, I'll do the logo. I'll write the press release. I'll do a, I'll invite all my artist friends to a party. Um, and then they were like, okay, what are you going to name it, Barbara? And I had one of those serendipitous moments where I actually ran into Sarah Jane Bellamy and I asked, you know, if I could bring no it. No way. I did. I did. Um, and I asked her if I could bring it back, like, in a different way, because this would be pop-up. I didn't want to rent a space. So we were going to okay. go into empty spaces in OTR. Um, and she said, absolutely, you just can't call it the project. And I was like, dang it, what am I going to call it? And so I like was talking to a marketing friend and, and he, he was like, I was like, Bobby, you got to help me. You got to help me. And he was like, no, like you have to, it's your thing. Like you have to come up with the name yourself. And so the next morning I had a second set of those red doors on myself. Yeah. And the next day I was walking out my back patio door where the, like past the shelves and I saw the red doors and I was like, it needs to be called the red door project because it's going to be a place where anyone can participate. The door's open for all. Um, and that's kind of, that's kind of how it started. So the first event was in. So cool. The first event was um, on Vine Street in the space where homage is right now. Um, it was empty. It was Joseph William yeah. Tone's furniture. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then they left. And so it was empty. And so 3CDC allowed me to be in there. I was actually in there for three shows because I, for the first two years, I did it every final Friday and was oh insane and losing my mind. So I did, the first show was called Cycle. Um, okay. And I had no idea what I was doing. I didn't even think like, oh, the artist should register. How am I going to keep track? Like, because it was a silent auction. Um, and so, yeah. So Wait, is it still that way? Is it still that way? It's still that way. It's still that way. For a brief moment, 
um, after I think the first year I did a, the December holiday show and I made it okay. a sale and it was so much easier to do because then people would just pay me and leave with it because yes. one of the challenges with the show is that people would just write down their phone number or their email and then some would stay and pay but I would have to do a lot of work after a show yeah yeah yeah, yeah. and so I was like oh my gosh this sale idea is brilliant but it wasn't because you lost the, the silent auction has this amazing ability to really Energy. engage. Yeah, so they are like claiming their piece. They're saying they love it. They think they're getting a great deal because you right. know uh, of the price. And it really is this excitement um, around the opportunity to bid on on people's artwork. So I've kept it a, a silent auction since since then. Okay. So um, when is the next one? So like how often are you going to do so them? So we're in the work. So so I did it every year for for two years or every final Friday for two years. Yeah. And then we moved quarterly, um, and then we had this uh, brilliant ability because Artworks loved the the concept of it, and we started being part of their gala, and they bought us a bunch of easels, um, which you wouldn't think uh, would be such a, a a big thing, but it was because but it was it enabled me. To then um, have wait, was that the inspiration for secrets? No, 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 no. They've been doing secrets okay. for years. They've been doing okay. secrets okay. for years, but they okay. added the red door as an element to their to their gala to have something unique within it where people could silent because normally it's just the small pieces, right? And you yeah, take those. right. So this gave them the ability to have right, a little right. a little silent that. auction of artwork, and then with the branding of, of the red door project. So I got um, at the 20th anniversary or whatever that was a couple years ago, I bid on something and I got it and it was, it's, it's hanging yeah. as we enter, yeah. as you enter my house. Yeah. Like it was a big deal. Yeah. It was a big deal. Yeah. Okay. So, okay. So now, sorry, I interrupted you. So, so now what, what is. So, so we were two years, final Friday and we were in every empty space on Maine, Vine, Walnut, we jumped yeah. over to Covington. I was in Clifton at the Clifton Cultural Arts Center. Yeah. Like we were everywhere. And then we went to Quarterly, and we were and we were hammering and nailing. Like I had this crew. We would literally Gosh. curate the show. It was absolutely amazing. Um, and then we moved Quarterly, and we did spaces like the brand new Shakespeare Theater lobby and the new Ensemble Theater lobby. And it was really a, a great partnership between both parties because they were actually introducing a new audience to their spaces who hadn't right. heard of Shakespeare, hadn't heard of the ensemble. So everybody loved that. So we did we did kind of more, we were in the yoga bar uh, on Republic before it closed. I mean, we were, we were everywhere. And again, each time the theme also ref would normally reflect like the space or the time or whatever. So again, every month had a different theme. Um, so like yoga bars was balanced. Shakespeare's Cute. was um, related to their show, which was, um, I'm totally blanking on the name of their show. It's all right. That's okay. okay. okay it's yeah. okay. Yeah. So, um, so then in 2019, I decided that I was ready to move on. Um, okay. I, February was always the anniversary month. We did an anniversary at the Contemporary Art Center um, the second year, which was one of the biggest shows ever, 175 pieces. Oh, my gosh. So, yes, people wanted to be in the in the Contemporary Art Center. I never thought of that. Um, so, so, you know, 20, 
20 was coming fast for February and I just didn't have the energy um, to continue it. And so I actually started to talk to the Art Academy, um, to their president, Joe, and started asking him if he would be interested in taking it over. And he loved the idea. He loved for his staff and his students to be involved. And so we originally planned to have the first one with them taking it over and me just being an advisor, yes. uh, March of 2020. And then okay. um, it was canceled. <laughs> so oh, we right. have now pivoted, as people like to say, to an outdoor model. So the first one with Art Academy was in August of 2020, and we were on the, art, the new Art Climb Steps. And so we cool. had this gorgeous show there. And then the other cool thing that happened was people would always ask me, because so the way it works is if the art piece sells, the artist gets 75% of the sale, and I would take 25 because in, especially in the empty spaces, I would have food You'd and have drinks. Expenses. And, yeah. So, um, so people would ask, like, what that 25 went to, if it went to a, a nonprofit or a charity or whatnot, and I was like, no, it just goes to help with the art gallery. But now that 25% goes to the Art Academy's scholarship for non-traditional students. Wow. And so that's really amazing that they're helping raise money for that. So, um, and then the artists still get 75%, which is pretty high in that space. Um, yeah. But again, back to the whole point of the Red Door, it's about the artist. It's about giving them an opportunity. Um, I have story after story of how a lot of artists have used the Red Door Project to help with their careers, to make connections, to get their artwork in other places, have other people buy it. So um, I was listening to a podcast and it was one of my favorite podcasts called Smart List. And have you listened to that? Mm -mm. It's Will Arnett, Jason Bateman, and Sean Hayes. <laughs> and they interviewed Zach Galifianakis. And he basically kind of walked away from Hollywood. He lives in, in Canada. And they were talking about whether he, he wants to continue doing startup, doing startup, doing standup. And he was, they were talking about, will standup look different because people have not been able to do it for the last year? Oh, right. And will there be this resurgence of some different comedy that comes out be, because of it? Which leads me to my question for you, you know, you, so you did that one in August of last, so last August, um, or two, two years ago, last August, I guess. August of 2020. No. August, August of, 2020. of 2020. Yeah. Oh my God. It's okay. I, <laughs> that was ridiculous. So <laughs> August of 2020, uh, did you see anything different artistically or do you think you will in the next one? Yeah, I definitely think that there is energy and interest to continue to, for artists to express themselves, especially because yeah. they didn't have an opportunity um, during COVID. I mean, even ArtsWave started uh, making a funds available to individual artists, um, which they had never done before. Really? So, yeah. So I think that, you know, we definitely saw that in August of 2020. And then we really saw it in April of 2021 when we were at the zoo. Um, we partnered with the zoo and we had... And normally I would allow artists two at most, they could submit two pieces of artwork, but we were yeah. a little nervous with the zoo being behind us and promoting it as well. So they only could do one and we had a hundred pieces. So we had a hundred wow. artists submit 
Um, and the theme, of course, was so fun. It was lions, tigers, and sustainability, oh my. We did it on Earth Day, April 20th. And and again, like, you know, I think people were, are, a lot of people were vaccinated, are starting to get vaccinated at this time. And so we just had a, a great audience, a great crowd that were just excited. We were outside. Yeah. And then the artwork was just brilliant. We had so much great artwork. And so, yeah, I think people are eager to... Um, continue to express themselves, to continue to make their craft and get it in front of people and, you know, hopefully find uh, people to buy their artwork. When can we expect the next one? So I'm working on it. I don't know if I should say it because we've had a little bit of conversation with them, but we're hoping end of summer. Okay. Um, so, uh, but it's going to be... You don't have to say it. You don't have to say it, but where would they find out more information? So it's the Red Door Project on Facebook and on Instagram. Okay. okay. All right, we've got to get into um, challenge or failure. We okay. haven't even hit that yet. I know. I, I, know. I mean, we're like, we're like, could keep gabbing. I know. I know. So there's a couple things. I mean, one of the things that I love about the Red Door is that it, like, there's the artist piece to it, which I could go on forever. But there's also, it makes art accessible to people. They yeah. people think that they have to only buy famous uh, work from famous people. That has to be really expensive. And one of the things about the red door is it has this quirkiness to it. And those are actually the pieces that sell the, the best. Like people have this <laughs> connection to it, this affinity for it. They learn about the artist. A lot of times the artists are standing there. You know, we had this one woman who it was a, we partnered with red bike and we were in their amazing space on Republic and um, which, you know, had the bikes and the tools all around us. So it created this great environment and, this woman did this wheel with this pink ribbon and it had this little book on it that was about women cyclists. And the woman was really drawn to the women cyclist piece. And then she, the artist was standing there and there were like these two little, um, I can say this like breasts on the wheel. And we were like, <laughs> what is this? And she was like, oh, this is actually representing my journey with breast cancer. And then the woman started crying, saying wow. that her friend just told her she had breast cancer and she, she bought the piece of artwork for her friend. And Aww. so it turned into like this beautiful story. And I just have so many um, stories like that where an artist has connected or an individual has connected with a piece and they start talking to the audience and they have this moment. It goes back to your serendipity story <laughs> at the beginning. Yeah. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Like yeah. that's what you're creating for yes. them. Yes. 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 Okay, so what's so, so listeners oh, will be like, what the, what's the big challenge oh, then? So, so I will say, um, and again, back to the accessibility, I, yeah. I, and and you know the quirkiness. I mean, one of the challenges is, you know, I have had people actually say, oh, well, this really is an art. I've had people oh. criticize the quality of the art. Um, which again, in my mind, everyone is an artist and that's the whole point of the show is, is for everyone to be there. Um, and then I wish everybody thought that they were an artist. Like, yeah. I think that's hard for people to, to say about themselves if they don't fit into yeah. that box of, um, musical or, uh, painting draw, you know yeah. what I mean? Yeah. 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 And then I get the question, um, so was the show, show successful? How many people did you have? How many pieces did you sell? You know, those types of questions, which again, like that's not the point. The point is to allow the artist an opportunity to show their work, allow people to purchase the artwork. 
if 10 people show up, if 100 people show up, in my mind, it's, it's a successful That's night. That's success. Yeah. So did you have to define what success was for you? When you started to get those questions, or I guess, did it help you refine it or define it? I think it helped me refine it. I think because I get such so much joy out of each event, and that's you know the reminder of it's why I do it. Like it's a lot of work to to get to that point, but then like I'm in my zone. Like when I'm at the event, it's. I mean, even with art, the art academy doing all. Of, I mean, amazing logistics and setting it all up. Like I'm there, and it's like one of my like one of the best nights of my life right like it's this great yeah. opera it's just the energy the people the artwork like everything and so that to me is success right and so I think I had to experience that a couple times um and then a couple you know more times when people kept asking me that question and so then I was really able to articulate like every show is a success because I've had artists Barbara, where did where do you think this um this gift or uh, desire to make art accessible came from? I love to connect people. I love to help yes, people. Yes, you do. Um, That's your superpower. I, you know I've told you that. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I mean, I think at the beginning, um, people ask me, you know, again, the question of why I started Red Door. And I did at the beginning say that I would always volunteer for other people, especially like in the public relations realm. And this yeah. was something that I was doing for myself and that um, that I owned. Um, but then it became this beautiful thing because then it became about the artists and then it became about the, you know, people buying the artwork and then it, and then it became about the event and the community. And so it just, it just became so much more than, than me just, you know, putting on an art show. Right. And so that's what I, I just absolutely love about it. I also feel like you are um, inadvertently an advocate for those artists. So when somebody says something like, that's not, is that really art? You can advocate for them yeah. and educate people. Absolutely, absolutely. And I know Brian wouldn't mind me talking about him. Brian Beck, he um, actually, he has done a lot of stuff for Revel, the wine bar on 12th Street. His okay. design is on the can that is going to be sold at FC. They're the only ones that are providing canned wine at the uh, FC Cincinnati and his design is on there. And he will talk to you and say that he credits Red Door for him getting his start. Both his parents actually work at the Art Academy, but he's now just going for the first time to be a student at the Art Academy. He's self-taught and um, we've just partnered on so many things, but he's just been, I remember the first show that he did and his piece sold, his parents were there. And they, we took a picture and posted it on Facebook and his parents sent me these messages on Facebook, like thanking me and asking me for the picture and all this stuff. And so, yeah, it's, it's those moments that you know that you've been successful and that, again, reminding you that it's about the artist, that it's about the people that are attending the show and it's not just always a, about you. So the reason why I got on the artworks board was because I wanted to be around artists because I don't think of myself as creative or artistic. And then since, since being on there, I'm like, I might not be artistic in that sense, but to your point, like I can be creative in solutions. I can be creative in, in connecting people. Well, also you are creative at, with interviewing people, right? Like there's an art to the interview. Oh my God, I didn't even <laughs> think of that. You are an artist, Sarah. Well, I love, I love hearing you say that because I've always wanted to be one. Did you always want to be one? 
I yeah, I think so. I think so. I've always had this creativity. Like I get, I literally get pulled into like anything when people need an idea. When people need an idea, they're like, Barbara, what do we need to do here? And I'll be like, oh, you should yeah. do this, this, this. And I like come up with the idea. <laughs> so listeners, everybody's creative. Everybody is. And we need to like flaunt it, what, however it comes. Absolutely. Absolutely. And that's the whole thing too. Like the, the best part about creativity is that sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't. Right. Yeah. But and that's okay. That's okay. Because it's creative. So it, you're not. You're not saying that it's like this definition of what it is because it can be anything. Yeah, it's the, no constraints. Yeah, 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 for sure, for sure. And well, that's why okay. if you were, I mean, every single red door was so different and had, yeah. you know, so many different challenges like to get to that point of the actual event, but, and the idea even to come up with the theme, right? Like, but at the end of the day, like, it would always all come together. Like the, the size of the space, the amount of pieces that came, the amount of people that showed up, it, it like was this crazy thing because okay, I Okay, but that's spaces. because that was your attitude. That's because <laughs> that was like a possibility, creative, open attitude that you have. Seriously. Yeah. But like I would have small spaces and big spaces and it always, I guess you're right, because then to me, I thought it, it was always the, worked. It always worked and it was always the right amount. So um, I love that you use, and we've talked about this, you and I separately, but I love that you're able to use that superpower of connecting to, you're, you're really an advocate for artists. And we're lucky not only to have you here in Cincinnati for P&G, but also for the community. So you are kick-ass. I love you. Thank you for being on today. Thank you so much, Sarah. I want to thank everyone behind the scenes, especially Adrian Donica and the team at Gwyn Sound. Also, please find us on social media outlets at Fail Forward Pod.